someone sitting there saying, if I can put in $100,000 or $50,000 or some, some amount of money, $25,000 is usually the lowest that we'll do, is like put that into something and then just bank on the fact it's going to produce a distribution rate over three to five years with some reliability and consistency that you can stack that up over time. I'm happy to take a little bit lower and actually have that be something I can lean on. Welcome to the Business Ownership Podcast, brought to you by Awareness Strategies, helping you navigate the waters between entrepreneurship and ownership. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedlock, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I'm here with my most amazing guest, Spencer. Spencer, thank you so much for being here with us today. Wonderful way to start the day. Thank you so much for having me here, Michelle. Really excited about it. Awesome. So give us a highlight of who you are and what you do for business. Yeah, happy to. And so uh, these days I wake up every day, very happy to, to serve our investors. So I run a passive investing group at Madison Investing. So we help folks invest in, uh, you know, real estate, big apartment buildings, self-storage facilities, niche stuff, you know, well, the stuff that some people know about and most people don't, but it's very much changed our circumstances and our family's life. So I could be a more present dad and I used to be in technology companies for 13 years. Uh, so that's, uh, kind of where I got scared into after growing up in a real estate household. Uh, my, my dad was a broker for 30 years in the Bay Area, and he was making me work jobs like many parents and entrepreneurs do. And so uh, that's why I ran screaming into tech companies for 13 years. Um, <laughs> and it's not nearly as cool to tell your friends you're going to go clean out an old fridge at a rental property, right? Um, and so, so uh, uh, some of the some of the experiences I've had, uh, they are noteworthy. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not I, not a fan of them. I wouldn't want to do it again if my life depended on it. <laughs> right, and and maybe we can have some time after the, to talk about that after we record today. You know, but but I think uh, for the sake of what I, I wake up and do every day now, um, just feel very blessed to be able to kind of help other people find the path that we did. And and you know, working 18 hours a day in high growth tech companies might sound glamorous, um, but at the same time, being able to go and invest forward, create a financial moat around our family, and help other people do that—that's what we do. I love it. So what made you decide to go from tech and back into real estate? Gosh, you know, I would say that there was some formative moments. Um, I don't have time for all of them, uh, but I would <laughs> say that, you know, we all kind of got into this, you know, those of us that went the, the corporate ladder. Mm -hmm. um, I climbed that ladder, was leading teams of over 200 people, probably way ahead of the time I should have been in my 20s. And mm -hmm. that's how you learn. You get ahead over your skis and then you get your scrapes and bruises. And ultimately, I realized about 13 years in, actually about 12 years into that career, um, you know, I would, didn't see my infant son, our first of two boys in weeks. I was going in too early. I was leaving too late. And it was exciting and fun to build companies. But there's no off-ramp that's well-established for these tech Silicon Valley tech companies, Michelle. I mean, it's, it's really like kind of the unwritten Silicon Valley lottery, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people sign up to work in these, in what will be the next Google what will be the next Facebook, you know, hoping that they're going to get this massive exit. And then, you know, a check with many zeros will magically fall from, from the proverbial sky. Uh, and in the end, that doesn't really happen for the vast majority of employees working in that environment, even when you're in leadership levels. Right. Mm. And I had to find a different way. And, and I think ultimately uh, not to go too deep on this, but I will say talking about entrepreneurship, I think about watching a, it was a very tough decade uh, in my teenage years, watching my dad's business, the only source of income coming into my house, into our household when I was working for him. 
And, uh, you know, lost my younger brother to cancer, lost a bunch of other folks in our family, really hard times. And I won't go TMI into that beyond that, but I'll say that really left a mark on me. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens in a household where you've got one earner and the lifestyle downgrade was massive uh, from at that point in time. And I think looking at like, what is active income versus really passive income? How can I do this differently? I didn't know how to digest all that at that time when I was younger. Flash forward to a career where I'm like sitting there now having two kids of my own, working 18 hours a day, thinking maxing out a 401k is going to somehow solve this next 30 years. Because, you know, I I mean, I'm in my 40s now, um, but I would say that I, I still had some years in runway ahead of me and still do now, I'd like to think. And there had to be a different way to do this. And, and so that's what prompted me to get to get myself refocused, to wake up earlier, start studying outside the office, to start running into this investing and, and private investing real estate world, because there's just endless wonderful ways to get inspired and go build something that the market will pay you back for as you serve others. You know, not to get too philosophical about the value that we can build in business that also generates profits in the world for those and for ourselves and others. But but that was really it. I love it. And we will definitely get into those points because I think it is becoming more and more important to people that it is a win-win situation. But let's talk about the timeliness of this because I know a lot of people, the biggest concern is now's not the right time. I should have done it 20 years ago. I don't have the money for it now is now the right time to get into these kind of investments? You know, uh, there, there was a, a piece of wisdom that I heard, two of them, two bullet points, I'm a bullet point framework guy. Um, and they stuck with me and they still do. And I revisit them in these moments now more than ever because volatility scares everyone. It just creates this blanket of fear. It, it hits all of us. Like I'm not impervious to that. No one is, we're humans. So uh, I think of the first one being that always be investing. And that inherently, most of my, you know, my mind would have gone to back in my twenties, early thirties before I thought, well, that means maybe I should just always be investing in my 401k. Perhaps I go buy some index funds, right? It's not necessarily what that means. It's a little higher level. It means think about one's own objectives. Am I trying, do I have a full-time job with great income? Do I need to go actually generate income in form of cash flow or dividends back to myself? Well, no. So maybe something else. Not to go too long on it, I'll just say that the other principle is there's no such thing as bad assets. There's only bad prices. And so that if someone really, I challenge anyone out there hearing that, to, to re, if you haven't heard that before, I did not come up with that. I can't take credit for that. It's just the best darn investing phrase I've ever heard in my entire life. And I'll, I, I <laughs> cannot find another one because whether it's like, you know, take these AirPods I'm holding up on the camera, sorry for the podcast version of those, um, or it's, you know, a, a computer or it's a, it's a piece of stock or it's a piece of real estate. Everything out there has a price. And what really matters is someone understanding what they're willing to pay in order to buy that asset. And so every market context has great opportunities. One just has to pay attention and educate themselves. And I read 24 books when I was getting into this, 24 books in 18 months. No one, out, no one else needs to go out and do that. That, that was over the top. Um, that was a borderline obsessive. <laughs> um, but I would just say, there's so many wonderful resources at our disposal now, Michelle, right? I mean, like you, you can go online, find endless blogs, great blogs, great podcasts like the one we're on right now. You know, you're putting content out to educate people about how they can go find different paths in life. 
and I, I can't believe I'm saying this now because the, the corporate dude in me from years ago would have heard this phrase and probably said like, you're insane. But I firmly believe that going out on one's own and carving, whether it's your own investing strategy or it's building your own side hustle and maybe turning that into a full hustle, those are far less risky strategies for a person who's growing a family, who's building a life over a long enough time horizon than devoting your only sole income to an employer that you have no control over. <laughs> and so not to get too dramatic too fast, but it's just, it, it's a journey to get to these head spaces. And I think that there's no such thing as bad assets. There's only bad prices. I love it. So let's go into looking at kind of what your portfolio tends to incorporate and, and why you've gone there. Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, initially, uh, Jennifer Morimoto is actually my wife and my co-founder, uh, which is like its own separate podcast. Uh, but uh, <laughs> nice. we we were both in our own separate careers and we started the way that most people do when it comes to buying hard assets or like real estate, uh, which is too scared to go buy something far away we can't see. Mm -hmm. You know, keep it local. It's one of those long-term platitudes we've all heard around the dinner table for generation after generation. And there's some value to that. We drove around all summer with our infant firstborn in the car. The first time we bought a rental, it took us the whole summer. We paid $430,000 for a duplex just north of the Bay Area. Um, that has gone up a lot. That was cheap at that time. Um, Mind-blowing compared to the Midwest and other parts of the U.S. at least. I'm sure that around Calgary, okay. you've got some other price points that fluctuate. Um, but we got we wanted cash flow, but we didn't really know what that meant. That property generates around $200 a month in cash flow. That means after everything else is paid off, taxes, insurance, you know, property management, all that stuff, that equation is not what you call a home run uh, for, a, for an investment. If you're wanting cash flow, we didn't get it. So that was phase one. Phase two, in hindsight, it seems all clear. I can break it into three phases. Uh, we went and said, okay, that dollar was not stretched far enough. So we went and bought five properties. We got up to five in the Midwest of the United States. Kansas City, Missouri, uh, $60,000 per property, US, mm -hmm. and $250 per month in cash flow. That sounds amazing. And it sounded amazing. And we bought those and we've sold them since. Did they generate profit? Yes. Was it a heck of a lot more work than anyone could imagine, even with a property manager? Absolutely. Uh, and <laughs> I was going to say, and I'm going to go back to your your Bay Area one, going at least you cash flowed two hundred dollars because I think you're you're ahead of a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. Hands up, congratulations. Because thank you for one, saying that. That is huge. <laughs> now they're still under the bar from where you've taken it, which is you know certainly get into that because I think that uh, credit where credit is due is is important and being able to identify those properties that are cash flowing that are getting the returns um clearly is one of your fortes and being able to even start off with you know it's it was cash flowing but it wasn't great how do we make it great is is an important mindset to keep in mind yeah and yeah. thank you for that it's a journey that sounds like clean cut in hindsight like everything else in life right um, <laughs> exactly figurative machete in hand chopping through the learnings along every way um scrapes and bruises still intact uh but the, we finally got to this point where we said you know here's where we're at at that point this is we've gone through that those first two phases and we said both of us enjoyed our active work we're not planning on when we all think of retiring could we retire in a traditional sense now I, I cannot believe I'm saying this, but yes, we could. 
are we going to sit around on a beach? Well, no, it's boring. It's so boring. You know, like if, like the, the life is built for challenge and adventure and not to be too corny. And so we said, let's go figure out a way to keep doing our active jobs. This is in around 20, 2018. Uh, we started investing in bigger buildings along with partners who could do the stuff that I don't know how to do. I can't swing a hammer, Michelle. Like I, I, I learn stuff on YouTube every day. My wife is more handy with a hammer than I am. And, and I'm very comfortable saying that. So like, I'm not going to go manage a big building, but we looked up market. Uh, we, we went and started finding partners who could be based in Texas, in uh, let's say South Carolina, North Carolina, basically everywhere outside of the state that I love and live in currently, um, because that's where we saw cash flow. Um, we could go and take that dollar, put it somewhere else, have it professionally managed, and then improve that thing and then maybe sell it later at a profit. And so now we've done that dozens of times. Uh, and the ability to go buy a piece of something bigger instead of wanting that one smaller property just for ourselves was pretty mind-blowing for us at the time. Because um, mm -hmm. when the occupancy at our single-family rentals would go from 100% to zero overnight when one person leaves... That, that would be a stressor. Um, when you go up to an apartment building that's 400 units large and it's an apartment community in the middle of Dallas, Texas, you don't sweat it as much when one tenant leaves out of 400 and you're down to 399. And so <laughs> that lesson uh, really clicked. I'm an, oper I'm an operations guy uh, by, by trade professionally from my prior life and scaling teams. And I think I like predictability wherever I can get it. Is there a risk in these things? There always is, of course. They're investments, you know, um, and we're heading into volatile times, but we picked relatively boring sounding assets by by, this, by choice uh, because they actually produce stability. And I like that, you know, self-storage facilities. You talk about people thinking they're boring. As of 2023, Michelle, I'll tell you, boring is pretty darn sexy right now for most of the market. So <laughs> right? uh, a lot, lot well, more interest in these now. <laughs> well, yeah, so numerically, let's go back to kind of your skill set of, Let's talk about consistency versus cash flow. When somebody's looking at a piece of property and like they're just going cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, they tend to be thinking, I want, you know, bigger more. And then when they're looking at consistency, going back to your point of, well, that's boring. Long term, what kind of difference do the numbers tend to fit into? Like, how important is it for you to look at consistency over cash flow? Yeah. As a thing. Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. Um, you know, I want to couch it from a perspective of a guy who's surrounded by all these, uh, so many brilliant, way smarter people than I am here in Silicon Valley. Uh, you know, we have investors of our own, senior software engineers at, at Meta, formerly Facebook. You know, th th these are folks that could run circles around me with every possible algorithm they want to run. And when I sit there and I wrestle with these types of questions with them, like, why are you investing in an angel investment in a tech company? And, and they, they walk through the math of the potential. And the potential always looks incredible. It, look, it looks mind-blowingly incredible, right? Um, double digit, you know, put your money in and five to six years from then, you're going to have like 12x or 12, 12 times or 20 times your money. What's really important though is what I think about is the risk-adjusted return. Clearly, I'm not being very original saying that, but to really sit there with that phrase and understand it, um, someone sitting there saying, if I can put in $100,000 or $50,000 or some, some amount of money, $25,000 is usually the lowest that we do, is like, put that into something and then just bank on the fact it's going to produce a distribution rate over three to five years with some reliability and consistency that you can stack that up over time. I'm happy to take a little bit lower 
and actually have that be something I can lean on um, and that our investors can lean on. So I don't want to get myself in trouble for, for quoting too many actual. Uh, <laughs> well, I, so I, I am not registered and I am not licensed. And I'm not anything else. But what I will tell you is I had a property once that had a, a cash flow of 1800 a month, which sounds right. fantastic. Yes. When I sold the property, I was down 20,000 overall. Uh, that is go. not a good investment. <laughs> right. Uh, gosh. <laughs> Uh, th thank you for putting real numbers to it. I mean, I'll, 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 what I can say with with full disclosure is like, um, historically, for all of the deals that we've exited to date, I can share those. I mean, yeah. we've done 13 large property exits to date. So these are hundreds and hundreds of units for self-storage facilities and for uh, apartment communities across the, the Sun Belt in the United States from Texas stretching up to North Carolina. And we've done that 13 times. Uh, we have now seen, on average, 2.7 years is how long that, that was held. The investor puts in their money, I put in my money, and we exit. Um, and you're looking at, I think, let's see, 27% IRR, internal rate of return on that. Uh, you know, so people are very pleased, you know, and along the way they got returns right. and, and cash flow. What? They're very pleased with 27%? That's <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty darn stellar, right? And like, right? I mean, the caveat, of course, for people is like, um, taking the leap is the hardest part for most investors and just knowing where they're at when they got to go and pull the trigger on doing it because it's intimidating. Like I, I really get it. I, I, most people are not going to get to the point where they can understand what you just said is so helpful and so eloquent. Like the $1,800 a month is an outstanding dollar for dollar amount for cash flow. Um, but selling at a loss overall, looking holistically in retrospect, if you're a growth minded investor, you're going to say, well, probably not great. Um, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> experientially it was very valuable to <laughs> right right it's and i gosh i appreciate that example can i give you one very brief quick one that's like a first-hand example as a passive investor. so yes. uh 2018 invested in a uh, really great looking two property portfolio in alabama uh with people i trust competent partners um and they did everything they could right and within the first, it was supposed to be an eight-year hold. That means my money is tied up for eight years in this deal. We received cash flow distributions along the way. So I was ready for a long ride. And in the first quarter, we had just received our first distribution, quarterly distribution. We get an email saying, hey, guys, I'm sorry. Turns out a very large tree fell on one of the two buildings. And that early in the deal, you know, that means that this team is going to buy these two properties with a bunch of cash that all the investors, myself included, went in with, with a great plan, renovate them, put in new management, sell them at the end after receiving cash flow along the way. Big tree fell. <laughs> and my only thought is blame the arborist that they didn't hire. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but in the end, what happened? Well, we didn't get any more distributions for three years, actually two and a half years. And then it exited with more than double the money on year three. And so... Bad investment? Absolutely not. Great investment. Did it do exactly what we wanted? No, it didn't distribute the cash flow along the way. And that was pretty, that was a bummer. I'm not going to complain about doubling my money in three years. Right. So, right. Well, yeah. and that also comes to a kind of wherever your risk evaluation is to be able to, to understand that if, if you're going to play a high risk game, you have to play a longer term <laughs> Yes. Well, yeah, you have to be willing to play the longer term to be able to overcome that uh, 
potential downside. Obviously, if it cranks up really quickly after a drop, then you're like, oh, okay, well, let's get out of this game. But, um, but the willingness. So let's talk about the willingness of somebody because I heard somebody once want to say, well, when I was teaching entrepreneurs, it's like you have to be willing to go bankrupt in order to be able to set this business up. It doesn't mean you will. It doesn't mean you have to. <laughs> Please right. don't. Yeah. <laughs> but the willingness has to be there. Otherwise, you're fighting it every step of the way. And if you're fighting it every step of the way, you just go get a job. Gosh, so yeah. when it comes to investments, kind of where is kind of how do you see that playing out? Getting that to that point of willingness. Gosh, everyone has their own mental model. It makes it sound so much more fancy than it needs to be probably, right? That's a tech company term for you. It's um, it's like a framework. How do we make decisions? And the way you make decisions, Michelle versus me and everyone else in the world, it's a little bit different. Jennifer and I sat down there and we took this to such a nerdy degree. And I, 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 I'll, it's simple, so it's easy to articulate, but I'll say that I encourage most people to sit there and do it too, because you got to build your criteria. I like frameworks. This is what I borrowed from the people way smarter than me in tech companies, you know, that came from these brilliant academic pedigrees. I mean, I went to University of Colorado Boulder, go buffs, and I learned how to snowboard and drink beer there. Um, but in the end, it comes down to the who, the where, and the business plan or everything else, you know, when evaluating any type of real estate investment where you're not hands-on active yourself. Like if you're, the, if you're not the one pulling the strings, pulling the levers, doing the work, and you just want to give money to someone and trust them. I didn't come up with that framework. That's someone way smarter than me years ago came up with that framework, the, the who, the where, and, and everything else. Beneath that, I would put more than 90%, 95, 99, pick a percentage above 90 uh, of the relative weight and vetting on one of these things on the who. And, and as an experienced investor, which it sounds like you've already had your, you had your journey on, on, on this one so far and you probably have more, more to share than we can get into here but like you know the vetting on the who is just quintessential it, it is it is everything um because you're you're asking this pilot you know the, the person driving decisioning this team to do everything you're signing a big legal document to get into these deals therefore being able to have a framework behind that was what we identified and so we put together this nerdy five-part framework you know we look at like uh the track record meaning has this person done this before how did it go what is their approach? What does that mean? That means whether I'm going to learn how to play a guitar song on my guitar, which I'm not too sharp on these days, I just play for our kids. Or if like I'm learning how to go, uh, you know, run, go on a better jog or someone's playing sports, they want to learn to swing the baseball bat better. You do something enough, you have a repeatable process. Same thing in business. Anyone that you're going to go put your money in, they're going to have a repeatable process if they've done it. And if they don't have a repeatable process on paper, they don't know it well enough. So approach matters, the team, um, the way they communicate to people. And then this sounds corny to a lot of folks, but I, I really st I stand by it and that's their values. So it's like, you can do, you know, the corporate folks um, will understand this and appreciate this as well. But like behavioral interviewing is not new. Uh, there's stuff that you can really dig into with people about how they've handled certain situations. And when, you, when you're investing in stuff like apartment buildings, there's humans that live in these buildings, real humans and families. I've met them. And like, I've lived in apartments, you know, most of us have. And so like, yeah, that matters. There's a lot of people who just buy things and try to improve them for a profit. And we, we do care about that. We're, this is still a for-profit endeavor, of course, uh, but that, that stuff matters, you know? And so all of those things helped us get comfortable. I think that other people 
will have to define what matters to them relative. And mm -hmm. uh, I think on, for better or worse, more than half of our current investors in our club right now, they are uh, very quantitative. You know, we're talking engineers, software engineers, hardware folks, uh, people that are incredible quantities and they will spend 99% of their review time on the spreadsheet. Don't ignore the spreadsheet. Got it. Absolutely spend, like reallocate that time to who you're putting your money with <laughs> and like do that first and then worry about the darn spreadsheet because that I think that that's, that's where they get hung up is like they stare at things like IRR and they compare deal A, deal B, deal A, great IRR, deal B, not as good IRR. I don't think they stopped to check that deal A is being marketed by a person who left a coaching program five months ago. And is doing it for the first time, you know, so not to go too nerdy too fast, um, but I'll just say that that's, that's the big way that people can get comfortable more so is like, think about how to go and set one's own criteria before they make investing decisions in any type of asset, not necessarily just real estate stuff like you and I appreciate, Michelle. Absolutely. I do. And I got another story for that one too. Um, so when, when it comes to you investing in, um, pieces if you want to call it um and and i say are you guys going after and looking at kind of who's managing the buildings right now who's taking care of all of those things what are their track records and then coming back to your clients and going hey here's what we're looking at and this what's going on or how does that process play out absolutely yeah um th this was a bit of a genesis for our specific business too it was like we were just investing passively uh, ourselves yep. you know going about our careers and lives and then eventually over time you know, it starts oftentimes starts with friends and family and they say, oh, what are you putting your capital in? What are you investing in? That happens so often. And everyone's like, man, I'm not going to get on a plane. So it, it's those moments that are formative and you pay attention. And I took note of that and ultimately definitely spent, you know, I wasn't joking before we hit record today. Um, you know, it was four states in the past week and a half. And that's not typical. I'm not on a plane that much usually. Uh, it was a condensed spe speaking at a conference, but I did travel to three different states just in the past week to go and visit and meet on site with a management team that we're working with now of the nine that we work with. Uh, and then also look at some of the assets in functioning and in, in, in the markets that we were working in. And so mm -hmm. taking the time to go see that stuff, to taking the time to say, oh, this is this exists. Mm -hmm. <laughs> First and foremost, like, Please tell me this thing we're going to invest in exists. It has an address, you know, right. um, not, and I'm not making light of it, but you know, the folks out there. Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> every mistake that's ever been made in real estate uh, that people are like, Hey, you should watch out for this. It's because it's happened to somebody before. Completely. <laughs> <Just saying. laughs> Completely. You know? Yeah. And then, so uh, skimping by on that stuff, there's times um, that I'm reminded if and when I've ever done that in the past. And like, it's just, it's not a shortcut that we're, we're, <laughs> we're comfortable with. Um, and so, yeah, I will get on planes, shake hands, look at the uh, the financial stability of the, the people that we're working with themselves uh, in addition to their entity. Nice. I love it. And hugely important because my other story is we, uh, one of an, another real estate purchase we made or investment we made was... Um, in raw land that was about to be annexed by a city that was growing. Um, prime opportunity was the next piece, kind of <laughs> the mm. barbed wire over. Um, the, there were already developers in, in talks about kind of how they were going to build out in that area. It was promising, promising, promising. And then all of a sudden, something hit, <laughs> which often does. And you're like, okay, so it'll probably be a five-year delay. Fine. So all you really have to do is pay taxes at that point. 
But what happened was that the majority shareholders had um, basically re refinanced that section of land in order to buy a section of land next to it and kind of got greedy. And essentially because of that five-year waiting list, now they couldn't afford the taxes on it. So the land ended up being, um, they lost it all. Oh, so. Man. It's a learning moment, you know. I'm sorry about that. Well, yeah, we, we, we learn these things. Well, and, but I think the 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 downplays are important to understand because it comes back to this value of who is the asset owner, who's playing the game. Do they have a tendency to get greedy and and go overboard? And it's not necessarily that you're looking for, hey, have you been greedy and lost it before? It's okay. So when this is going well, what did you do? Oh, we bought lots of land around it. That works great hmm. in some cases. But it just worked very badly when something goes wrong, like a tree lands on your property and you're not expecting that. So to me, when it's when you're going to invest in in any new venture, really, but particularly real estate, it's really understanding who that team is, what their values are. Are they going for the long-term play? Are they looking to make a quick dollar? All of the kind of too good to be trues really do come into play with these things and you have to understand how. And to me, investing in real estate and the stability and the consistency is really what people need, especially if they're too late in the game or they feel like they're too late in the game. Gosh, that was so well said. I'm so tempted <laughs> to like grab on every single point you just made, but yeah, because I just looked and nerd out on this stuff. Very well said. All right. Yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page. So tell us a bit about what you got going on in your business right now and who, uh, who can benefit from it most. Yeah, you know, I think now more than ever feeling very reaffirmed uh, because of all the crazy volatility occurring out there right now or is perceived as crazy, you know, um, just some of the banking stuff that's been breaking the news in the past week. But I would say that reaffirmed in the fact that uh, boring is the new sexy, um, you know, not, not, not to be too cheesy. So very excited about things such as, you know, welcoming new members to our group. Uh, you know, we've done this on a very lean basis by design. Um, I used to scale up tech teams very large, and I learned that this phase of my life is all about working with a tight-knit group of people and then partnering with experts who have great infrastructure for their big buildings, you know, and experience. So um, I personally onboard every new member uh, myself, build a long-term relationship with them. Um, right now, we're looking at like self-storage facilities and funds uh, because they're great and Americans love to store our stuff in big units that we don't look at for years. And as it turns <laughs> out, that's a really good business model. Uh, <laughs> so, and there's no people living in the units, you know, ideally, fingers crossed. Um, Apartments as well. Um, but I think that stuff right now, hard assets, there's a demand. People need places to live and people need places to put their stuff. A couple other niche assets that we look at too. Um, but you know, that it tends to get a little bit more more boring for some folks. You don't want to look, go look at the niche stuff beyond that. But that's really, you know, more of that. And then also just talking about goal setting with our investors because it's a good time to pencil and rethink and sharpen one's pencil, as it were. Uh, what is someone's goals right now? You know, with all the movement in the economy and the movement in the job landscape, if someone has changes to their household structure in terms of who's bringing in what income and from where, um, just trying to be a resource and helpful for folks as they're doing that. I love it. Well, and I, I do think from my experience, and um, you will obviously have way more data on this than I do, is the whole notion of people moving from single dwelling homes into apartments and or um, multi- <laughs> family units are is a trend and and they 
they're downsizing, but they're not getting rid of their stuff. <laughs> so it makes sense that they're Nailed going it. to want to have those self-storage units to be able to accommodate that as well. Oh, yes. It's it's a very interesting almost, uh, they're like two sister asset classes yeah. uh, in, in that way. You know, and I think that the downsizing dynamic is spot on for the data and the observations that we've seen in a number of different markets. And mm -hmm. so I think right now, more than ever, it's about also job freedom and job where are the jobs moving? Like jobs are the big guide. If you had to, if I had to boil it down to one thing, I mean, I have 70 point criteria listed in every spreadsheet of stuff that we go through on these, on these opportunities. But I would say if I had to boil it down to a single word about what gives confidence in a market, what is the, uh, the ultimate kind of moat in the market dynamics that someone can build around a place where they're going to deploy into an asset sitting and has an address. It comes down to where the employers where the employer is expected to go and then where are the jobs stable you know and that's not necessarily always going to be for example silicon valley where i live that's why we don't invest in real estate here um places where employers are moving jobs job stability great markets that are a bit more owner friendly um all those things yeah i love that so uh, can you give us an example of a cinderella story of one of your clients Without oh. naming names, obviously. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm happy to. I mean, we, nice. we have, because we have, um, he's actually like become quite a good friend. Uh, and he he was at a tech company uh, for many years um, and ultimately was deciding when he when and how he could decide to just leave and, you know, pull the record or whatever analogy someone wants to use to just retire and, and mm -hmm. become a passive investor so he can go enjoy life more. And so, I, I I didn't realize this at the time. He told me a couple of years into our relationship, but he's now invested, you know, over seven figures through our club with us. We're very proud of how that's gone um, for him. And when we were over here, like having coffee the other day, he like tells me, he's like, man, did you know that you're like the first person that I heard talk about this stuff before? Um, and and this was before he ever did any of it and, and made his first investment, but he like didn't tell me that for years. And so uh it, it was very touching and I just never really knew that until recently. So yeah, uh, mm -hmm. I'll keep it anonymous, although I don't know, he would probably like if I brought him up, but yeah, he, he worked in tech for about 15 years, uh, 20 years, and and then decided, oh, I can actually go do this whole ret retire on my own terms, passive income thing. And now he's living that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to mention his name and get, get in trouble. <laughs> All good. All good. So what are some of the stumbling blocks that somebody might have be having that's listening to this right now? And going, oh my God, Spencer, I need you so badly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I will say that uh, the cat, you know, not everyone can invest in them, you know, and and I, I do wish that more people could get the access to these types of private real estate deals because mm -hmm. when I say private, of course, for folks that are out there, it means like you're not going to find a stock you can buy in the stock market for these. And there's a bunch of different ways and flavors to do this. And there's other types that beyond what we do here too. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not the guy that says myopically go do just what we do uh, investing wise, um, but go find what works for someone's circumstances. And so the obstacles would be uh, most of the time you will have to be in a, to meet accredited investor requirements. Um, and what that means if you're going to invest in these bigger deals is the SEC uh, says you have to meet these income or these net worth requirements. Um, and so that is a barrier. There are ways for folks to do that if they're not accredited. Um, we just can't accept it at Madison Investing because we are held to this registration standard. Assuming somebody's credited, they have their assets in place and they're going, hey, this this all sounds great. Yeah. Uh, I know our listeners are going to want more from you is what I'm trying to say. So how do they start that journey with you? Yeah, so they can just go to Madison Investing 
Um, the Fielder Madison kind of companies out there. So uh, it's just named after the street where we actually had our first home. So it's, it's, it wasn't pulled out of thin air. There's a story <laughs> behind it. Um, but it's madisoninvesting.com. Um, we have a newsletter, but folks, if they are really eager to just kind of learn more, they can sign right up to join uh, and request an invite for our investor club. Nice. Love it. So I get to ask you, at what point in life did you know you're a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Way too late. Uh, I would say uh, in 2016, I was managing a team um, and I saw nights and week, or I saw from like 6 a 6 p.m. Uh, to about 8 p.m. at night after hours, my employees, small group employees, would be working uh, hard on a side project. And I was like, how are they doing so well in their day jobs? These are the folks that worked for me directly. And then they, five years later, over the period of time, now run a massive, like impressive rental portfolio company outside of, out of Texas. Those early days when I saw them doing that, I was like, if they're doing that, I, I can do that. And I, you know, I saw my dad do it, but apparently... There's something contrarian about not wanting to be like our parents. Nobody wants to know what their dad does. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> dad doesn't uh, like, know anything. Do it my way, right? Um, <laughs> exactly. and, but, but that really had to be it, Michelle. It was that seeing others um, in, my, in my peer group and uh, that I respected greatly, knowing what makes them, what makes it so that they can do it, but I can't. Uh, and that was, that was huge. I love it. You have been absolutely awesome. Any last words for our peeps? Yeah, I would just say, get curious get curious about this stuff. If all of this sounded like it was completely boring, you're like, what is Michelle and Spencer talking about with like, like big buildings? Get curious. You know, um, I would say if, if you're not happy with your circumstances, if you want to get more out of the prosperity of life financially, just get curious and, and, and go, go read and money doesn't have to be boring and, and, and finance does not have to be boring. I thought it was super boring in college, um, but everyone can, can get something out of it. And so we are also, by the way, offering, uh, we have a free new guide we just launched. It's like the seven, uh, the seven ways to become a passive investor. It's called the blueprint for passive investors. Um, and folks can sign up for that on our website as well. Very cool. Awesome. So peeps go ahead and check that out. Spencer, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I know how valuable it is. Yeah. And then likewise, thank you, Michelle. This is a blast. Thank you. Awesome. Peeps, thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. We love helping entrepreneurs grow. Are you running a business over seven figures but still struggling with technology headaches? Pay attention. You do not want to miss this offer. This podcast episode is brought to you by Awareness Strategies, who is offering a custom-built digital adoption roadmap for anyone running a business over seven figures who's wanting to grow their business in the next five years. And it's not just a roadmap. They offer full implementation as well. If that scares the out of you, check out awarenessstrategies.com forward slash roadmap for more details today. The link's in the show's notes. Don't regret not doing this. Do it now. That's awarenessstrategies.com slash roadmap.